Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. get into the word today and I want to talk about gripped part two go ahead and write that word again gripped or if you're if you're taking if you took notes last Sunday or throughout the week because you heard our podcast feel free just to um, continue adding notes um, to that page and, and I want to just keep talking and having a conversation about what we started with what we started with um, last Sunday amen um, how many of you did God speak to you last Sunday Amen. God, God definitely spoke to me and, and, and has been speaking to me even throughout. And we'll see how far God takes us on this and we'll be um, sensitive to that. But, but the Lord, did do, he did speak something special to us. Um, and he took us to a phrase last Sunday, if you remember. Hopefully you wrote it down. And it's deeply affected. Deeply affected. How many of you remember that phrase? Deeply affected. And we spoke about it a little bit. Deeply affected. We spoke about Paul's life again. That Christ had a firm hold on him. Christ had a firm hold on him. And, and we see that through his life that he was deeply affected, just, just kind of summarizing, deeply affected by the Lord's presence and the encounter he had with Jesus. But we learned that it wasn't just the encounter, it was continual encounters. We spoke about him going to the third heaven. We spoke about some interesting things that, that him dying and resurrecting stuff like that. Uh, interesting things with Paul had more than just one encounter being knocked, a ho- knocked off a horse. But it doesn't, it, so it doesn't end there. It continued to grow. It went on. And Paul was a man of deep affection, deep affection, because he was deeply affected himself. Deep affection because he was deeply affected. This was a man who was gripped. He was taken by the hand, and he was held in his hand. Very important. Can't go over that all right now. Listen to last week's message. But taken by the hand and held in the hand by God. He was firmly held. And, and we ended the service last Sunday by saying, because this man was taken and held, if you study his life and you see his life, he shook an entire region of the earth, an entire region with the message of Jesus Christ. And not just the message, with the works of Jesus Christ. So cool. It's powerful when... when when, I mean, it's good enough when someone um, affects a whole entire region with the message of Jesus. That's good enough. But when, when your works even line up to your words, it's powerful too. Because God, God, it's almost like God trusts that person in the sense. So like Paul's, Paul's handkerchief and, you know, Paul's clothing would be thrown upon the sick and stuff like that. And people would be healed. Those were works. Those were works that were backed up by his word. I mean, he, he was... He was shaking a whole entire region with the gospel and the life of Jesus Christ. I could say he was fully gripped by the presence of the Lord. Let's move a little bit from there. Two weeks ago, we ended what we did for, for about five studies, or five, almost five weeks. We did a, um, studies on steward the dwelling. And two weeks ago, we turned to Philippians 3. I, I want you to turn, actually, to Philippians 3. I would like... I wanted to get into it last week, but I didn't have a chance to, to fully get into it again because when I mentioned it in Steward the Dwelling, I flew by it. I just fo- focused on, um, on discovery, on discovering, discovering, and, and I want to go a little bit more on that, but not necessarily on discovering, but on other stuff. 
But we ended in steward the dwelling and, and we turned to Philippians 3. And, and Paul in Philippians 3, he is writing about this transformation that occurred in his life. And we see Philippians 3 as this testimony, as this writing of a supernatural change through an encounter that, was, that had happened between Paul and Jesus. It's so obvious in, in Philippians 3. We'll, 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 we'll start off where we ended it that week. It's in verse 9. And then I'm going to read 10 and on and pause and, and just see what God wants to share with us. But verse 9, if you remember, says this. Philippians 3, 9. I'll read this from the Passion real quick. Translation. He says, my passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness. And he goes on from there. But that first section of that verse is so important. Here's Paul, and he speaks about his passion, and it's consumed. And it's not consumed necessarily with himself, his own righteousness, his own good, his own attributes, and what he could testify about himself. Because we can be really good at that. We could be really good at testifying of all the good that we are and all the gifts that we have and look at everything that I've done. And, you know, I feel like sometimes he doesn't recognize me. Or I feel like sometimes they don't recognize me. And here's Paul, and he says, my passion is to be consumed with him and not to grip, hold on, cling to my own righteousness. I love this about, okay, Paul was trusted. Why was Paul trusted? Because everything of him was constantly given to the Lord. Here is Paul, with he could, which he could have bragged, and in bragging in himself, he's bragging in the sufferings of Christ. Like, like he's just, he's just, he, he just hits it on the head always. He's good at that. And I feel like it's because of, this, because of a genuine transformation. I don't, I, I don't see anywhere in Paul where it was fake. It, it, Paul, it was genuine. It was real. I mean, think about this. He, he saw people get killed before him because they were followers of Jesus. And now he's willing to be killed as a follower of Jesus. I mean, this man went through a, a, just a divine, true transformation. Many of you can testify of being someone like this. That I've, and if you haven't, may you start testifying of it today. Of just divine transformation that I, I just can't even tell about it. It's God did it. We said a couple weeks ago, right? God started it. Verse 10 says this. Let's go to 10 11. Philippians 3. He says, I continually, and I continually to long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I will be one with him in his sufferings, and I will be one with him in his death. Verse 11, only then will I be able to experience the complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. Here, here amazing penmanship, awesome writing. Paul, let's teach a little bit about this. Let's, let's stop for a moment. Paul has discovered that he has not received or it hasn't been downloaded yet into him, if you want to use that word, all the wonders of Jesus. He has not received all the wonders and it hasn't been downloaded to him, all the wonders of Jesus. Paul gets that. He understands that. And what he says is amazing. It's this, ready? But he continues to long to know them. I want you to recognize this about Paul. I have not received it all yet. I have not fully experienced it all yet. I have not fully gotten there yet. He hasn't discovered it all. He hasn't received it. It hasn't been downloaded into him yet. But Paul continues to long to know those things. All of Christ, all of heaven has not been given or downloaded into your life. I'm, I'm guessing. Right? 
But hopefully in you, because of the work and the regeneration of the Lord, there is something in you that continues to long for those things. If you're not longing for those things, you're at a very dangerous place. At least I would say. It's because then what are you longing for? So Paul says, I have not gotten there, I haven't received it all, it hasn't been downloaded yet, but nonetheless, I long, I continue to long to know them. He says in verse 10, I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully, but not just that, and also to experience resurrection. How does he call it? The overflowing power of resurrection. Not just from, the, this is important, because when you, when you hear resurrection, I know it's not Easter and all that, but every day is Easter. Every day is resurrection. So, so this is important. Ready? When you hear resurrection, you automatically think, oh, yeah, when Jesus was raised from the dead and he was no longer inside when they went to look for him and the tomb was rolled away. But that's not the resurrection that Paul's talking about. If you read the text, Paul's talking about a different resurrection. It, it has to do with the same thing because the same resurrection that resurrected Jesus, now the Bible says resurrects us. So watch what Paul is saying, ready? I continually long, not just for the wonders of Jesus more fully, but to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection. But here is the key, ready? Working in me. Do you see that? So it's a resurrection that I know is true in Jesus that becomes true in me. So Paul is talking about I share, on the, I share the cross with Jesus. I share burial, death with Jesus. But that's where most Christians stop. Paul's like, I will not stop at the cross and death. I will also continue at the place of what? Resurrection. Overflowing power of his resurrection working, living in me. So he continues to long for that. You would think that after Paul was stoned to death and killed and rose from the dead, you would say he got the overflowing power of resurrection living in him. But there was still more overflowing power of resurrection that was found in Jesus that was for Paul. And Paul what? Continued to long for more power resurrection in him or more resurrection power in him. Are you with me? That's important to recognize this. He is gripped. He's gripped. Everyone say gripped. That's our series here. He's gripped, and because he's gripped, he's longing in that gripness for more power in resurrection. It's not more, it's not more power on earth. It's not more fame on earth. It's not even more money on earth. He's like, I just long for the wonders of Jesus and to fully experience resurrection power in me. His main desire being gripped is for a whole other dimension, a whole other supernatural. It's a whole other realm. It's I want heaven in my life here on earth. I want to experience resurrection working in me. Not worked in me because we could all agree that resurrection power had already worked on Paul. Yes or no, when he kicked him off the horse and he was blinded him three days later, the man laid hands on him and he was able to see and he preaches the gospel to all the world. Yes or no, resurrection power had already happened to Paul. Pop quiz, yes or no? Yes, but it's continual resurrecting power working within him. The overflowing power of resurrection is not a one-time event. The overflowing power of resurrection should happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Every single moment of your life, you should be experiencing highlights and testimonies of his resurrection power working in me. All right, let's get off that. So, so Paul continues to long. Everyone say long. Everyone say desire. Everyone say aim. What other word can I use? <laughs> okay? I'm going to keep going. 
And a major portion for this great longing, aiming, desire, this great, a great portion for this longing in Paul, this wonder in discovering more of Jesus, is, is this right here. It's, it's this right here, verse 10. And I'm going to repeat it again. It's Paul. It was Paul ex- wanting to experience overflowing power of his resurrection. So I long, and that longing is I want more of that. Now, we read in verses 9, 10, and 11. In verses 9, 10, and 11, we read that Paul was gripped with a passion. He says that. It's, it's, it's obvious that he's gripped with passion. I'm going to talk a little bit about passion, just a little bit today. But he's gripped with passion. And, and this passion that he was gripped with led him to two things or two desires. It led him to continually, or better, better said, right, to continually long for two things. I'm going to repeat myself and repeat myself and repeat myself. What are the two things, what are the two desires that Paul had because he was gripped with passion? Number one, you should already know the answer. To know the wonders of Jesus more fully. You should write that down. To know the wonders of Jesus more fully. So a major, uh, uh, here, here he is. He's gripped. He, he, has been, he has been touched by God, held by God. And in this passion, he says, number one desire, I want to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. And it doesn't end there. Number two, I already gave it to you. To experience this overflowing power of resurrection that is alive or that is working in me. Two desires. Two longing things. Now, don't get me wrong. If Paul took out his prayer sheet, if, if Paul took out his prayer book, do you think that there were more than two things written? Maybe. Most likely. He was praying about other stuff. He pastored many pastors. He oversaw many churches. But the main two things, according to Philippians 3, that he had a desire for because he was gripped with passion were these two things that I just mentioned to you over and over again. And we've learned already in verse 12 and 13 that he writes this, verse 12 and 13, that I run with passion, he says into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. This is the part where I really stressed like two weeks ago. Verse 13, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one, oh, this is good. I do have one compelling focus that I forget all the past that I have, all the past as I have fastened my heart to the future instead. Amen? How many of you love to hear like your future is better than your past? I do. And Paul gets that. Paul understands that if I continue in Christ, that which he has for me going forward is better things. Better things are to come if I'm continuing in this run with passion in Jesus. How many of you believe that for yourselves? Better things are to come. Better things are to come if I continue to run this run in Jesus, this run with passion. There's better things to come for yourself personally, for your family, for your friends, for this church. Better things are to come in this run. Hopefully you believe that. If you're in Christ, you should. So, so as we read verse 12 and 13, here's Paul running with passion. We're teaching a little bit here. And we stayed on verse 9 and 10 for a moment. But, but I have something to ask. Ready? How many of you feel this? You feel that you still have faith, right? Like, I have faith in me. Pastor, I really do. I have faith. Maybe you're hearing, like, I have no faith anymore. But I don't necessarily believe that. I think you might say that, but just because you're here, even if someone dragged you, there's still a faith in you. 
whatever. But how many feel, ah, you know, I still have faith. But in recognizing that you still have faith, your run is not with passion. Your run, the passion has left your run. Or you don't run with passion any longer, though you still have faith. Maybe you've experienced that before. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. I haven't gotten off the track. I haven't stopped following Jesus, but my God has passion left my heart. No amens there. I felt that. Not one, not multiple times in my life. I'm with Jesus, but, but for some reason, I don't feel passion in my heart, a fire in my heart, whatever you want to describe it as. I'm thinking that a lot of us could understand that. I have faith still, but I'm running without passion. And, and, and you're here and maybe you're weak or you're tired, you're stressed, you're, you're fearful, you're anxious, your joy has been stolen. Where maybe your run with, and this is important, you should write this down, where maybe your run with passion has actually become over time a run of routine. You with me? It's very easy for a believer, for a child of God to run this run, right, starting off with passion, but there's a moment where now the passion minimizes and now it becomes a walk or a, since we're, let's talk about run, uh, so I don't confuse anyone, a run of routine. Where are you running? I, I mean, this is what I'm supposed to do, while yet you forget the purpose while you're running. I mean, this is what everyone in my church is doing. So it's very easy to, to, to switch over from a run with passion to then turn into this run of routine. We honor your run, whether you're running with passion or routine, because many have started the race and are no longer racing it. So even if you're running routine, I clap and I applaud you, but I will not stay. I'm well with that or that you should be well with that. We're not called to run with routine. So how many of us have started running with passion at some point of our lives? And maybe you're here and you're like, I'm running this run, Pastor. I really am. But instead of passion, I feel that it's a continual routine of my life. I come to ch Sunday, check. I do a devotional, check. I say a prayer before I go to sleep, check. And it's a routine. It's a routine where, you, where, we, where we look at you in the eyes and say, but what has he challenged you on? And what have you wept for? And what have you been repented for? And what have you fallen to your knees for? What have you cried over? And what, what, what has you rubbed? Like there are many questions that we could ask that could easily trigger our understanding or if you want to use our discernment to recognize whether you're living in routine or you're living in passion. Many pack-up churches raise their hands and sing songs, and, and many are just living in routine. And there's a great sound in the routine, but it's not a sweet-smelling aroma because the aroma that is sweet-smelling before the presence of God is a worship that is done in passion, not in routine. Be careful that we don't come on a Sunday and do something routine, and we forget the heart that is filled with passion for why we do it and for who we do it for. Hallelujah. You should give God some praise for that. I, uh, are we running with passion or are we running with routine? We have to really question that. We have to dig deep in there. Why? Why do I share this to you? Why am I speaking this? I look at the mirror and I could tell you I could share that with you. I recognize that with you. I've ran within, not within routine. I've ran in routine. Many are the times that I've ran in routine. Is it okay? Honor it. Yes, I didn't get off the track. Thank God. But it's not well. It's not healthy. 
It's not good. Routine, routine will only, we could honor routine. We could honor consistency. I'm not bashing that. I'm not. But don't be satisfied with that. Don't be satisfied with routine. So maybe I should be very clear. Routine is not necessarily bad. Routine can be good in times. But don't be satisfied with a run of routine. Because in that routine, you could still be filled with passion. I have a routine that I go through. But yet in my routine now, there's also a run with passion in routine. Are you with? Are you, there's, there's so much we could go in there. So I, I want to make sure you don't feel like, man, you know, at least, amen for your routine. But there's, there is more. There is more. I, I can't just say, come back next Sunday and join us for our routine. No, come with your routine, but don't leave passion. Bring passion with you. Let. So I'm speaking to those who are basically, it's obvious, I'm speaking to those who are still running. How many of you are still running? You're still running. You're still running. Let's do something special for you. Because everyone likes to feel special every once in a while. I do. Give yourselves a hand for you're still running. It's good. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I could have stopped running, but no, I'm still running. You're still running. Amen for that. So I want to speak to the ones who are still running for a moment. We honor the run. We honor that the run has continued. We're not discrediting your running. But this is what I want to question. You should write this down and you should chew on this for the rest of the week and forever. I want to question and I want to examine this. I want to question and I want to examine that which fuels your run. That which fuels your run. What fuels your run? That's my message today. What fuels your running? What fuels it? In 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? That's why it's a race. Everyone's running it. If not, you're just running. It's not a race. Don't you, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? Paul says, but only one person gets the prize. I love this phrase in different translations. says it different ways. So run to win. Everyone's running. Everyone is running. But the prize doesn't necessarily go to everyone that runs. Not at all. The prize doesn't even go to the first place winner. When you study scripture closely, you'll recognize that the prize always ends or always falls on the one who finishes the run. Run to finish, run to win. One translation puts it this way, yet each one of you must run the race to be victorious. I like that one. So, so, so what, is, what is it really saying? We could almost translate it in the English like this. Maybe it would have been better if they would have translated it like this. Because when they're saying running to win or running to vic- victory, what they're actually meaning is this. Ready? Run towards victory. Run towards win. Do you remember the worship service that we just had? I'm praying for things that I have not yet seen. So what do you do? You continue to run towards win. You continue to run towards victory. You have not yet seen it, 
but you still run towards the victory and you still run towards winning. But I feel like I'm losing. Okay, but run towards winning. But I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm run towards victory. I'm ashamed. Keep running. Okay, run towards victory is the, maybe the more proper way they could have written it. Run towards win. Run towards victory. Paul was running as well. Paul was running too. We see that in Philippians. We see that in 1 Corinthians. And in, and in his running, right, he was, his winning, his victory was defined simply as this. This is what Paul's running towards victory is. Man, I hope you're not getting lost with the wordage. This is what Paul's running towards winning is defined as. It's simply defined as this. Ready? I'm running towards victory. I'm running towards winning. What does that mean, Paul? It means this. I'm running to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. I'm running towards experiencing the overflowing power of resurrection living within me. That was Paul's winning. That was Paul's victory. It was not first place. It was not famous. It was not anything else but I want to know Jesus more and I want his resurrection power to continue to work inside of me. I'm running towards that. I'm running towards that thing. Towards what? Jesus. More of him. What else? More of his resurrection power working in me. And that's your victory? That's your winning? That is his form of success. That is how he answers or that's how he defines success. He was now running to plant other churches. He wasn't running to, he was running towards knowing Jesus more and running to experience this resurrection working in him. So we run. We run what? Towards the same thing that Paul runs towards. We run towards it. We run to it. So, so here it is. Drop some stuff in your heart, man. When life hurts. When, when things get difficult, when riches turn to spoil, when joy becomes sadness, when gratitude becomes griping, that happens. When gratitude becomes complaining, when everything sits heavy on you, you're anxious. Come on, I had to have already touched one of you. When you're not just worrying about some major things, but you are worrying about every little thing as well. Do you guys get that? And I believe all, I, I wrote this in my notes. I believe many, if not most. I believe all of us. Many, if not most, in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't know if I have to repeat it again. But when life hurts, when things get difficult, when riches turn to spoil, when joy becomes sadness, when gratitude becomes griping, complaining, when everything sits heavy on you, maybe you're anxious and you're not worrying about major things only, but you're also worrying about every little thing. Most of us could understand that and talk about that and say, I know exactly what you're talking about. So what do I do? What do we do now? Here, here are some three little pointers. We've already said them during worship. Number one, Luke 9.62 teaches us what one of the things is. Ready? Number one, we don't look back. Never. Never do we. Do, we never look back. Luke 9.62 teaches that him who puts his hand on the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What do I do then? You continue to look forward. But forward looks horrible. I know, but there is a breakthrough in it. You have to continue to look forward. No one is fit for the kingdom if he puts his hand to it and he continues to look back. You could ask Lot's wife how it went for her. And you can ask for many others. You know, we always pick on Lot's wife, poor angel, poor thing. But there are many others that didn't turn into a pillar of salt that looked back and then they weren't fit for the kingdom of God too. Not just Lot's wife. Okay? So ready? Number one. Number one. Number one. What do I do now? We keep running towards win, running towards victory. And do what? We don't look back. 
We don't start running forward and look back, for the kingdom is not made for such. If you're a runner, any runner in this room would always say, if you're running, you got to continue to look straight. You look down, it's going to be dangerous. If you look back, it's going to look dangerous. Runners have to always look straight. Okay, just like when you're driving. If you don't, you're going to crash. If you run, you're going to crash. If you're, any, if you're in any kind of movement going forward, any movement going forward always requires you to look forward. Anything else would be danger, and at any moment you're going to crash. It is the same thing spiritually. If you're going forward in Jesus, if you're, if you're going towards winning, towards victory, you're running towards it, guess where you have to look? It's not that hard. You need to continue to look forward. Yeah, but back then, it used to be done this way. I could care less about the past. You look forward to the things that are ahead. Run towards it. Don't look back. Paul even repeats this in Philippians 3.13. We just read it 10 minutes ago. However, I have one compelling focus. Verse 13. I forget all the past as I what? As I fasten my heart to the what? Future instead. Paul is saying it the same way that Luke said it. Luke said, I'm going forward. I'm not looking back. Paul's saying, I'm not looking back either. I'm looking forward. Do you think it's a coincidence? Not at all. Look forward. Number one, we don't look back. When? Never. Never when it seems okay. No, never. We never look back. You know what I'm talking about? Looking back will get you in trouble. If you're walking and you do one of these, it's never a good thing. Looking back is always dangerous. Don't ever look back. Don't ever look back. Number two. Number two, we don't stay put. We don't stay put. No one finishes by stopping. No one ends by stopping. We don't stay put. We don't translate the scripture of waiting on the Lord as, oh, I'm staying put because I'm waiting on the Lord and, and, and believing that he is good. No, that's not what that scripture is. That means trust in the Lord going forward. Your waiting is actually your trusting. You're trusting. I've been praying for something. I have not yet seen it. I've been going a direction. And I have not yet um, attained it. I've, da, 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 and we could go down the list of things. And guess what scripture says? Well, you continue to wait on the Lord. You continue to trust in the Lord. No one starts a race and just stops and says, what are you doing? I'll finish it. No, you don't stop. Even if your run minimizes a little bit. You could, you've seen that. You've seen the runners at the red light. They're weird, but it's good. The red light turns and they can't get hit by a car. So they don't stop. But every runner continues to do this on the red light. And I drive by them and I laugh at them because they're funny. And they're doing this and they're going forward and they're going back because they know that they got to hit it. They, they got to keep going. That if they stop, that's their doom. They have to keep. And even if it's in, they're running. They're, I think it's the same thing with us. We need, if we're gripped by the Lord, man, it will be tough at times being gripped by the Lord. Don't ever think that just because I'm telling you you're gripped, Man, things are not going to arise. Paul was gripped. He was killed. Every single one of the disciples were gripped. And they were all killed except for John who was almost killed and then thrown into an island so he could suffer for the rest of his life living in caves because the sun couldn't touch his sores because of how beat up he was. And every single one of them were gripped. But in their gripness, it was a joy to suffer for Jesus. Paul was living in caves because the sun couldn't touch his burned skin as he was dipped with hot oil. Peter looked at a cross and he said, I don't want that cross. Hang me upside down because I ain't going to die like Jesus. And he sings a song hanging upside down about the cross. Oh, how long I love you. Weird. But they were gripped. So suffering 
turns into joy. I said last Sunday, the mature Christian, when the world around them is falling apart, the mature Christian is not falling apart within. Immaturity, immaturity causes you to fall apart within when everything outside is falling apart as well. The disciples held it together when things were going crazy. Did they have shortcomings? Did they have downfalls? Yes. I'm not, but they they didn't necessarily question their faith. Do I continue to run? They they did not look back and they don't stay put. Number two, we never stay put. Number three, we don't look to the sides. We don't ever look to the sides if we're running forward. Why? Looking to the sides, whether it's a distraction, don't get sidetracked. Don't look to the side, never. And you get sidetracked. Many times when you look to the side and you get sidetracked, you know what happens? You're running and without you even knowing. You know how many times I've done that in the car? I've missed the exit, or I've gotten on another exit. How did I end up here? You got sidetracked, and it's not that difficult to sidetrack me while I'm driving. Squirrel, I mean, it's just easy for me. It's very easy for me. Thank God, technology now, the cars, when you get close to it, it breaks by itself. Do you know how many times my Mazda has broke by itself so I don't crash in front of me? Because I'm like... Hey, what are you doing? Don't look to the sides. Don't be distracted. It never goes good. And there is a Holy Spirit that sometimes will do the same thing as the new engines. Does any of you have a car like that? It does that. And it breaks your tires for you. And you're like, whoa. And it says brake on your dashboard. Huge. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for stopping me. Sometimes it's like that spiritually. He just has to stop you on your track before you crash. Some of you just need to crash because you continue to ignore what has been given to you in your engine. The Holy Spirit is stop and you don't listen. You, you keep going. And, All right, crash then. Maybe if you crash, you understand the danger. Anyone with me? How many of you ignored it and you crashed before? Yeah, you have. Don't lie to me. No, never. <laughs> we never look to the sides and get distracted because it could cause us to jump into another road. And Matthew 7, I think, puts it and teaches us what that other road may be, where we enter a broad road which actually may seem safer and it may seem easier, but whose end is destruction. Be careful. Just because you get distracted and you end up on another road, and it might seem safe and good, but it doesn't mean that it's your kind of road. It means that it's at the end, though it seems well, its end is destruction. Many, many will start this race. Many will run with passion. Many will get distracted and jump onto another road whose end is destruction and death in hell forever. Not us. What do you do? You run with passion on this road that he's called you to run on. How many of you can say amen? We stay in the race. We run towards winning. We run towards victory. May that be us. Running towards knowing the wonders of Jesus more fully. And experiencing the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. So today I encourage you again. Examine that which fuels your run. Come on. Seriously, you need to. Mature and grow. Childish to childlike. What fuels your run? And God makes it simple for Paul. You run with passion, son. Don't ever stop running with passion. Don't ever stop. Yeah, but life, life bleep. Whatever you decide to describe life as, you still run with passion until you see that life is actually better than what you know. Should I sing a song to wake you all up?
Now nah, you're receiving, I get it. It's falling. Come on. He tells us in verse 15. So let all who are fully mature have the same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God reveals it to them. I believe that we are, as a church, are in that process of fully maturing. I am. I, I'm in that process, right? Every day, right? We're being perfected. We're fully maturing. And in maturity, we're going to eventually, when we mature, we are all going to share the same passion. That it won't be, it won't, oh, man. That it won't, it won't be at the place forever. This is good, Angel. That it won't be at the place ever, for, forever, that it'll be. Oh, yeah, he just burns different. He has a different passion. Know that together we are all with the same passion because we're all being fully matured. The church was not meant to be like that. We've made that into Western Christianity. Those are the strong men of the church. Those are the prayer warriors of the church. Those are the praying moms of the church. Those are the anointed brothers of the church. That's the crazy, that's amazing. Where is that in the scripture? In the scripture, they were all together in one room, and they were all in one accord, in one mind, in one likeness, and the Holy Spirit fell like fire sitting upon every single one of them, and they all began to speak in new tongues, and everyone that was outside the walls started to look at them and thought they were drunk, and Peter had to come outside and say, we are not drunk, for it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, for what it is, is we are all filled with the Holy Spirit. We are coming into full maturity, and we're all sharing in the same passion. When we start to mature... We'll start to share in the same passage. But because of our immaturity, that's why in our church we have five that are on fire for the Lord and the rest that are still <gasps> suffocating. But when we start coming into full maturity, this becomes a powerhouse of people that are all sharing in the same passion. And everyone outside wants a piece of this. <clears throat> same passion through full maturity. What's immaturity looking back? What's immaturity looking sideways? What's immaturity? Staying put. What do you do? Run with passion. Towards what? Towards victory. Towards what? Towards winning. What is it? That I would fully understand the wonders of Jesus more and experience his overflowing power of resurrection working in me. Run towards it. I could care less, Kevin. If... I'm not going to say it. That's the filtering part. But, but go towards it. Run towards it. The greatest activity of a church. Just go. What are you doing Monday? We're going to run towards it. What are you going to do Tuesday? We're going to run towards it. What do you do for youth? I don't know. We're going to run towards it. What do you do for moms that are single and widows? Run towards it. What are you going to do for the fathers? Run towards it. What are you going to do for my age range? Of, run towards the prize of Jesus Christ. Run towards victory. There is no activity. There is no nothing that I can put on the walls for you to sign up for that will catch you to burn on fire more for Jesus. All you need to do right now is examine what fuels your run and run towards Jesus. And the youth will get on fire and the single mom will get on fire and the married person will get back together. Be gripped with these desires. Same passion. Fully mature. Let your run be fueled by a passion that has gripped you. Gripped with passion. So I looked up the word passion. And I said, what in the world is passion? Number one, the definition is strong and barely controllable emotion. But I love number two. The suffering and death of Christ. How do you go from... <laughs> How does that make sense? They missed out a word. Shame on Webster. How can you say that passion is a suffering and death of Christ? It's the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. Because Paul said, 
if he had did not had, if he had not resurrected, our faith would be futile. Our faith would be useless. So it's, his passion was not just death and burial. Many gods died and buried but didn't resurrect. One God, one man died, buried, and resurrected. Why? Because he had passion for his people. The passion of Christ. We, Mel Gibson did a movie on it. We talk about it. The passion of Christ during Easter. Two definitions of passion. Strongly controllable emotional. The suffering, death, resurrection, death. Suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The passion of the Christ. Through suffering, death, and resurrection. As I added it. Through the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He showed strong emotion towards us. Amen? That's passion. I defined it for you. That's passion. Are we gripped with the passion of Christ? Only you can answer that for yourself. Are you gripped with the passion of Christ? Not the passion of pastor. Not the pastor of brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. Because when I've looked for my pastor to grip me and to be, he's failed me. It's not found in anything or in anyone. It's found in the one. Passion of Christ. Are we gripped with the passion of Christ? Have we been deeply affected? This is so important, guys. Have we been deeply affected by his deep affection? Yes or no? So I need you to answer this today. Have you been deeply affected by his deep affection? So answer this. Answer this. Ready? Answer this. What fuels your run? What is it? Is it routine? Is it religion? Do you understand that one of the number one things that fuels believers is religion? Religion didn't get anyone anywhere. It's a good starting point, but after the starting point, there's nothing good in religion. I'm not going to bash religion totally right now. Religion's a good starting point. But after that starting point, I don't see anything else that's good in religion. So is religion fueling your run? Is routine fueling your run? Or is fear fueling your run? I'm going to talk about a different fear. The fear that you're dying to get off this run, this race, but the only reason why you don't get off this race is because, hey, but what's going to happen to me if I actually get off this race? If we think like that, we're absent of his presence. I have, I have, I have thought of many crazy things, like walking, around, or walking away from my calling. I've thought about many crazy things about, no, don't preach no more, don't pass no more, don't do that. I've, th I've thought of many crazy things like that. But deep inside of me, I can never think about never following Jesus again. That's a total different thought. I could battle his will and his calling for my life, but my salvation that is in him, I can't, I mean, I can't, you know what I'm saying? I just can't get off of that track. So, so what I want to ask you is, what fuels your run? Make sure it's not just routine. Routine might be a good starting point. It might be a good continuation if it's found with passion, but in itself, routine is very dangerous. Many places are filled with routine Christians, and yet there is no substance of any kind of authority, power, substance in them of any great presence dwelling inside them. Religion, very, very careful. Fear of, whoa, how the ending be? Or is it a passion fueling your run that has gripped you that you will never let go of him again? Amen? And that will be the fuel that ignites you to continually to run towards victory. Run towards knowing the wonders of Jesus more fully and experiencing the overflowing power of the resurrection working in me. Let all that you grip onto in this run drown away Drown away everything else. Let, let, that, let that one thing that you grip onto in this run be drowned away by this, by the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. Gripped with resurrection power. Everything that I hold onto that is not of him, let it be 
torn away by his resurrection power overflowing in me. That, listen to what I wrote here. That, and the worship team could start coming up. That resurrect from the place of routine, I could, I could get to that place. That I don't have to necessarily live only in routine. God can, God can resurrect me. How many of you need to be resurrected from routine? That I could be resurrected from the place of anxiety. Man, do I have testimonies of that. And, and still ongoing. Come on, that we could resurrect, resurrect from the place of anxiety. That we could resurrect from the place of unforgiveness. How many of you are, I mean, your hearts are so polluted because you can't forgive? The, the Bible is very clear. You will stand before him and how do you expect him to forgive you when you can't forgive others? That is powerful. Resurrect from the place of unforgiveness. How about this one? Bitterness. Complaining, hurt, sadness, difficulty, all the things, man, that we could just sit here and talk about. Resurrecting, let his grip on you drown everything, all these things away because you're, you're, you're flowing in this resurrection power working in you. Verse 16, ready? Philippians 3, verse 16, that we can get to this place. Ready? Paul says, and let, all, let us all advance together to reach this victory prize following one path. Come on, church, what does it say next? With one passion. One path with one passion. So my question is what, what grips you today? Who grips you today? What fills and who fills or fuels your run? It's time maybe for you to take a new grip. It's time for you to let go of other things or to cause those things to let go of you. And Hebrews 12, 12 teaches us this. Hebrews 12, 12 tells us, so take a new grip with your tired hands. Come on, how many of you are tired? Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Meaning, there is a way to be made strong even in your weakness. That there's a way to be strengthened when your hands feel held down and your knees are weak. Meaning that there is a way to take a new grip when you feel tired. So I'll, I'll end with these things right here. Here it is. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to skip and I'm going to read verse 18 through 29. I'm just going to flow through it. Here it is. <clears throat> 18 through 29. I'll probably skip a couple from 25 on. But, but watch this. It says, you have not come to a physical mountain. To a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did on Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and I'm trembling. Verse 22. But no, everyone say no. But you've come to Mount Zion. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You, oh, I highlighted this part of my Bible. You have come to Jesus. Verse 24. You have come to 
We started off on verse 18. You have not come to a physical mountain. Verse 24, you have come to Jesus. You run towards it. The one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and sprinkle blood, sprinkles blood, and which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out of vengeance like the blood of Abel. Verse 28, let's go to verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Our God is a consuming fire. How many of you can say amen? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And as you stand, I'm going to read one more passage. Revelation chapter 21. We've read it here so many times. Look at the person next to you and say, we come to Jesus. Not a mountain. We come to Jesus. Revelation 21, here it is. As John is writing there, I want you to see the Lord's passion towards us. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is coming. And the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. God, make your home among me, huh? He will live with them. New King James says he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them, will dwell with them, God dwelling with us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he said this, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to all who are thirsty. I come freely. I give freely from the springs of the water of life. And all, this is so important for today as we end. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I will be their God and they will be my children. Run towards victory. All who are victorious, I will be their God. Not the ones who look back. Not the ones who got sidetracked. Not the ones who stayed still on the track. But he says the ones who were victorious, the ones who run towards victory, the run, like Paul says, run towards winning, them I will be their God and they will be my children. And I have all of this stuff prepared. Same thing as the author of Hebrews. All of this we've come to. But none of it, none of it is about, 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 a, about an earthly location. Not necessarily an earthly mountain, but we've come to Jesus. We run towards victory. We run towards winning. Come on, what fuels your run? What are you gripped with? Who are you gripped by? I think you could all do a, take a moment of just evaluating and registering this word and see what that means for you. I want you to close your eyes right there where you're at. You know where you're at and who you are. This word has touched your heart. God has spoken to you. In deep places, he's spoken to you. 
places that you can't even explain maybe it's difficult for you but you know God is speaking to you he wants to take you to a place where you're you're being made mature fully mature so that you could run with passion to a place where you look back no more or look sideways and be sidetracked no more or stay put no more but that you that you continue to run towards victory run towards winning that you are fueled with a passion a consuming fire that you have been deeply affected by the Lord and because of that you are you, you, your life demonstrates deep affection towards the Lord towards the Lord because of that which has first happened to you with him if you need a certain prayer today and you know that that you just need to be gripped we didn't do an altar call last Sunday for this but if this word spoke to you and you know that you need to to really say Lord I I need to be fueled with passion I need to be gripped today I'm going to ask you without even thinking about it just come up here just say that to me this message is for me today I need to be gripped let's go ahead and sing a song real quick and I mean I don't you know who you are just you and God Lord grip me let my run be filled with passion those who are victorious will be yours and you will be theirs I've come not necessarily to any place I've come to Jesus that's what I want to run towards for the rest of my life the wonders of knowing you more experiencing an overflowing power of resurrection working in me Lord that's it Lord let that be success in my life right there if that's you you could come up let's sing a song and